Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. These chats are fun, informative, and hopefully always interesting. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. In today's episode, I speak with Ben Thompson. Ben is Chief Storytelling Officer at Nine Degrees West, a strategic consultancy specialising in brand and marketing strategy for theme parks, visitor attractions, and brand homes. An IAPA speaker, Ben has previously worked at Mars, the Walt Disney Company, and Merlin Entertainments. We discuss the future of the experience economy and how organisations may need to adapt in a post-COVID world. Ben, welcome to the podcast. It's really great to have you on here. Thank you very much, Kelly. It's great to be here. Great to be talking to you uh, and the dog today. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. so look, we are recording these in semi-lockdown or easing out of lockdown. So we're, we're kind of at home. My dog is behind me. And I've left my dog Barney at home. So I'm, in, I'm actually in, in a nice quiet office. So it's all, all good on my side. I'm glad that you read the, read the prep notes accordingly, Ben. <laughs> well done. Well done for following instructions. <laughs> so we're going to start off a little bit with a, a bit of a quick fire round just to get to know you in a little bit uh, of detail. We've spoken a couple of times um, previously, but we don't know each other super well. So I've got some quick fire questions for you so I think I know the answer to this one already cats or dogs oh definitely dogs cats are rubbish it's all about dogs <laughs> what's top of your bucket list oh my word I think it is um taking a long trip to Australia uh, we've got quite a lot of relatives over there I've never been it's one of the few continents I, I didn't get to go to when I was traveling the world with Merlin Entertainment uh, so yeah definitely probably going to Ayers Rock uh, doing some of the islands, getting down to Tasmania and so on. I think that's probably, yeah, I need, oh, I need to do that. Great choice, Ben. Um, do you know what? Actually, we got engaged at Ayers Rock. So oh, it's really? A, yeah, it's a oh, really fantastic. special place for us. Really, uh, or really um, Uluru, as, it's, uh, as Uluru, I probably should, yeah. as I should be calling it, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd love to get down to, to Aussie and um, meet up with my, I've got a, my mother's brother um, went out there and he had five children. They all got married. I think there's about 50 Thompsons uh, that, that are out there now. So uh, yeah, looking forward to catching up with them one day. Oh, good. Well, yeah, you've got a lot of people to visit out there. That sounds fab. Okay. Tell me one thing that you're not very good at. Oh my word. I mean, how long have you got? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really, really impatient. I'm, um, I'm an ENTJ um, in Myers-Briggs terminology, so extroverted blue sky thinking. So I'm brilliant on the future and, and possibility and, and what could it look like. Uh, I get very bored very quickly with, with the, you know, the, what I consider to be the mundane and administrative task. And I'm, and, and I'm terrible at hiding my feelings. So if I'm bored about something, it's written all, all over my face. <laughs> You definitely can't air this now. This is this is far too personal. <laughs> I'm really worried that I'm going to start looking at your face soon and, and sense that boredom coming across as well, Ben. <laughs> You're giving too much away. <laughs> okay, Good question. One, one last question. Tell me something that you believe to be true that nobody else agrees on with you on. So what is your unpopular opinion? Oh, my word. Lizzie, these questions are really good and okay. terrible. Um, okay. So I, I believe that cricket is the very, very best sport in the world, bar none. And I have a really solid argument as for why that is the case. And hardly anybody apart from a, a very tiny percentage uh, of people agree with me. 
do do you want to share that argument just in case we've got any listeners that 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 share this opinion in a nutshell it's the ultimate combination of the individual and the team game and conditions and everything else skills and experience sort of wrapped into one and it has different formats you can have a really short game like only three hours or quite a nice leisurely version of five days where you can have a draw at the end okay I mean, I, we'll agree to disagree on that one, Ben. <laughs> but, well, there we maybe go. Some of our listeners were, I mean, tell us, let us, yeah, like tweet us and let us know if you agree with Ben. I'd love to hear. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Um, I always like to do that. I think it's quite nice to get a little bit of an insight into people's minds. And also what I really enjoyed is that you, you know, the thing that you said that you're not very good at actually showcased the things that you are very good at, which is talking about the bigger picture and the future and what things look like. And that's really one of the reasons that I have asked you to come on the podcast, because you've got an incredible background in attractions and the um, experience economy. And it's challenging for many in that sector at the moment. And I'm really keen to get your opinion on how it's been and what you see the future to be. But can you could you just kind of give us what a typical project is for you, Ben? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the, the immediate answer is there's no such thing as a, as a typical project because every, every client is, is different. And that, and that is true. Um, the, the, the kind of golden threads that I, I get involved, it's all about storytelling. I call myself a chief storytelling officer, and that is what I, what I do. I've always loved books and, and narrative and, you know, kind of rich tapestries. Um, like I, I love Lord of the Rings as a, as a kid. I loved all of the kind of, the, you know, the, the, the Hobbit, all that type of stuff. And I read, you know, voraciously. And as I got kind of, kind of older, I read a lot of psychology books, really fascinated by how the brain works. And um, Danny Kahneman is my sort of absolute number one fan in the, um, he wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And, and Kahneman um, worked, worked with a guy called Amos Tversky and, and uh, Kahneman ended up being a, a Nobel Prize winner and basically invented kind of behavioral economics. And I find all that stuff fascinating at the point where kind of story and narrative meets you know, meaning, how, how we interpret the world around us. I think that story forms, you know, it forms views, uh, it forms culture, uh, but it can also transform. Uh, so Joe um, Pine and Jim Gilmore talk about, you know, that they're at this stage of the transformative economy where the product is the change I see in me as a, as a customer or a guest when I engage with your, with your brand. And I think story uh, has a huge role to play in, in creating those kind of transformative experiences. So that's sort of the, a big thread that runs through it. Um, back, back to my um, sort of personality and loving the new, I'm, I'm often working on, on new projects. So that could be, you know, like Tony's, um, which, you, you know, we, we released uh, our beautiful video, which we produced with Storyland Studios. Yeah, so this is Tony's, Tony's Chocolonies. Yeah, Tony's Chocolonely. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that, that, that is uh, an amazing brand that has got a fantastic story, wants to transform the industry in which it's working and wants to create a, a visitor experience to immerse people in that brand. And, and to create advocates for their mission, which is to end slavery in the chocolate industry. And our role was to take that from, you know, a very basic, okay, we want to do this and it's going to be kind of this size and it's going to be this location. And, and by the way, it's going to have a roller coaster to, okay, how do we actually put a, an immersive narrative a, around that? And, and what we've, what we've done uh, successfully is this, it's, you know, the, a great story when you stand back and you sort of, you, you think about it, it's so simple. 
uh, our, our approach to that was was a three acts: heart, head, and hands. So we'd, we'd engage you with uh, all of the joy and the fun of what chocolate is all about. Chocolate's ultimately about happiness and sharing. So we, we do all of that great color, great richness, texture, and so on. But then we do a twist and we go, we go into the head, which is about saying, you know, what's the, what's the bitter side of that sweet, the sweetness of chocolate? And it's the reality of, of uh, people working on cocoa farms um, in West Africa, Ghana, Ivory Coast, where, you know, it's a really kind of terrible situation. Then we educate. So how can it be done differently? That's the rest of the head piece. And then we move into hands, which is all about impact. You know, um, that, that particular brand is all about engaging people to make a difference with, with their decisions, with their activism, all the kind of stuff that we do. And, that, and that's where we, we um, segued into the roller coaster. So that in, in, when you get on the, the coaster, you're, which we're going to call something like the Impact Express or whatever, you're actually going to be shrink, shrunken down to the size of a bar and fired out into the world to wow. have an impact. Um, <laughs> not literally fired out, you know, health and safety will be taken into consideration here. Um, so that, that, that has been a, an awesome project. Um, I have an amazing client in Brazil uh, who are the largest park operator out there. They, they run um, the, the Christ the Redeemer statue in, in Rio. They run the Iguazu Falls uh, down in the south of the country, which is the number one waterfall in the, in the world. They have a big aquarium and so on. And, and there it's all been about kind of how do you go from being a, an organization that's grown through acquisition has around 6 million guests a year, um, but in kind of silo style businesses. And how do you create the sort of structure that, that sits above that? A little bit like, like Merlin, um, where you can get great synergies, get great, great best, best practices. And a lot of that's, you know, in, in your world of digital um, and get, get right structures and so on. So they can you know, get the good data, make the good decisions and, and, and so on. Um, and, and I, we have got other projects that we can't talk about yet, of which course. is so There's frustrating. Always, always we've, got, <laughs> we've got two amazing, amazing clients um, that we're working on, one in, one in Europe um, and one a global company, but based in uh, on the East Coast, where the work we're doing is, is just going to be incredible. But you're going to have to watch this space. All right. Well, we definitely will watch this space. Um, and that brings me to my next question, really, because I'd like to know if you're having to advise your clients differently at this point, because we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, you know, as we sit here, it's the 1st of July. Uh, attractions in the UK can start to open safely from this weekend if they are able to. And we've, we're seeing a really big demand, actually. We've seen a huge demand for um, ticket sales for London Zoo, Whipsnade Zoo, for example. And we know that Shanghai Disney Resort sold out its capacity in like three minutes. So we know that there's demand there. We know people want to go back. And what are those conversations like at the moment with, with your clients that are looking to you know, open their experiences in a year from now, two years from now? Are you having to talk to them very differently about things? It's a, it's a great question. I mean, I think the first thing to say is I'm not at all surprised that there's a massive pent up demand. Um, and I think I've been fairly consistent with that with my with my clients and stuff that, that I've written about. Um, Disney have the most amazing metaphor for this to explain why there would be this this pent up demand. And they call it the closing window. A closing window. So, uh, as, and as a parent of children, um, I can really relate to this. So, the, the idea of the closing window is if you, if you have children, let's say you have two, two or three kids, 
you, you don't really want to go to the big the big park experience until they're sort of five or six because they don't really get it. The rides maybe aren't quite re ready for them unless you go to Legoland, of course. Um, and by the time they get to be 15 or so, and I've got a 16 year old, so I can relate to this. You know, parents are deeply uncool um, and they want to go off and do their own, their own things. So you've kind of got like, you know, maybe eight or nine summers to go and make the memories that last a, a lifetime. And actually, that's not that many summers, you know. Mm. So if you take one away, you're like, oh, wow, you know, I, I just lost a really big opportunity to go and do something amazing uh, with, with, my, with my family. And if you think about the experience for parents with their, with their children in parks, um, basically, it's the, it's, it's the best you ever feel in the whole year as, as a mum or a dad. I think particularly as a dad, by the way, because you've put so much energy into it. It can be really expensive. And it's a day that you'd never have to say no to your kids, typically. Um, at least that's the way I try and do it. <laughs> so you feel great, right? And those memories kind of reinforce your sense of yourself and the story that you tell yourself. So that, that's the power of the industry that, that we work in. And if you close the doors on people and say, you know, you can't go, and then they open up again, you know, no surprise, there's going to be a kind of a rush, a rush to the doors. And I think indoor is going to be different from, from out, out, outdoor, you know, I think outdoor is obviously going to have the benefit of it's going to feel safer for the more risk averse um, folks out there, like my wife, um, which, and, uh, but you know, the, the thing about indoor is um, still a massive role for it. It all depends about whether you've refreshed the experience. Um, a big part of our industry is about suspense, you know, su surprising people, you know, oh, I didn't know they were going to do that. Well, oh, that's different from last time. Or, you know, I want to go further into that experience than, than, than I could uh, the time before. I think that's why escape rooms are such a great um, trend, you know, because you want to do it quicker. Maybe they change a few things and it's, it's a different experience each time. So I think for, for anybody who is still waiting to get open, you know, please don't try and open with the same experience that you did last time because I think people are going to be looking for something new. It's really good advice. I guess there are some experiences that can't open at all at the moment, and that's a huge challenge. So I read last week about the Postal Museum, who um, is is allowed, they are allowed to open, and the restrictions have been lifted. However, they can't make it safe enough for people to come in because they've got restricted space, um, and actually restricted space on the, the postal ride that they have, the, the actual experience. And so you know, it is still really, really difficult for the industry. And I guess how, you know, how can you advise, um, I guess you can't advise them if they, if they physically can't look at the safety implications and they can't make it safe for people to come. That's a very, that's a very different story. But um, so your advice to attractions is to refresh what they're doing. Don't just open as they have previously. I think that's right. One of the most important things I feel is about empathy. So I engaged a few of my colleagues in the IAPA uh, organization um, in February, I think, with an idea around um, how we might recognize our healthcare uh, and key workers once, once we opened. Uh, we, we called the idea healthcare heroes. And actually a number of people have taken it on. It, it, so people in China have done it, a, a load of the folks in, um, in Europe have done it as well. And, and the idea there was just simple way of, the first people who come through the doors of our, of our attractions ought to be the people who put their lives on the line to help us during, during COVID. So, you know, doctors, nurses, 
people working in healthcare, you know, actually teachers as well, by the way, my wife's a teacher, teachers get a bad rap most, most of the time, but you know, they had to go back into their workplaces a long time before, for anybody, anybody else. I thought that was a good idea for two reasons. One is it shows that the people who are running that organization understand and care and empathize with what, what, what people are going through. You know, there's a sense we're, we're, we're all in this together. Um, sec secondly, I think it um, allays risk. So if you, if you are more on the kind of cautious risk averse side, if you can think, well, actually, these guys are going to get healthcare workers are going to come through and they'll help them, you know, check out their facilities and run the rule over their sanitation measures and so on, then, you know, it can have been a, a, a double win. So, so yeah, I think, I think empathy is good. And, and I think just communicating with people what you're doing and why. Um, the guys over in Shanghai, when they opened earlier in May, I thought did an outstanding job of just being right up front. You know, here are the guidelines. This is what we're following. We're not putting the full number that we can put through from, from the, from the get-go. I think they had, um, they had the, the, the right to go up to sort of 25, 30,000 people a day. I think they put 5,000 in on the first day and then it kind of moved up to 10 and, and so on. And that, and that shows a really, um, again, kind of, uh, you know, sensitive mindset. It's not all about shoving as many people through as possible to try and generate some, some revenue. You know, it's a bit more caring than that. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, that's one of the things that we've been talking about in the office the last couple of weeks is um, we, we talk quite a lot about, uh, you know, getting visitor numbers through the door. We've got an ebook, you know, double your visitor numbers. We can't you can't do that at the moment, you know, so you've got to try and kind of maximize the revenue of the people that can come through. But also, you know, caring about their health and safety and making sure that they are safe is the fundamental thing that you need to be caring about when you get those visitors back through the door. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think, again, I, I wrote another piece on this around um, about guest centricity, you know, as opposed to customer centricity. I, I've always thought that the, the metaphor of the host at the, at the dinner table um, is the right one for any kind of hospitality mm -hmm. business. You know, when you, when you invite people to come into your home, you know, you're, you're treating them as if they are a member of your, your family. You know, you, you, you do anything for them. You, you want to understand all about them, their, their needs, their preferences, whatever it is. I think in the article, I, I, I kind of use the example of so many of the CRM platforms where you get asked your name like five times uh, or have to fill in the same details. It's the equivalent of, you know, after the second course saying, oh yeah, what's your name again? You know, and um, oh, is your husband Dave, is it? You know, oh, James, oh, no, sorry. Um, <laughs> so I just think that that, that mindset of, um, you know, being all about the guests and, and, and caring for them and, the, and their day, it will, will stand, stand us in good stead. This is really interesting, actually. I should. Um, I think I'm going to hook you up with a, a, a past guest who was on our, our season one of the podcast. We spoke to um, Alex Book from uh, Arcade. So they are yeah. a big VR agency. Now, they actually talk about um, not calling guests guests or visitors. They talk about calling them players. And it was a really interesting discussion nice. around like how, you know, how you engage with them and, and what that kind of message is. I think that the two of you should, um, should have a chat about that. That'd be maybe, yeah. on, maybe on here, maybe on here, actually. That would be great. Lang language is important. You know, um, one of the things Joe talked about is the idea of staging, staging an experience. You know, they, they say work is theatre. It's not a metaphor. We're not saying think of work like theatre. They're saying it, it, it is theatre. You know, you go to work every day to play a role. 
And when you have an organization that is like uh, a theatrical production, everyone playing, playing their parts, staging the experience for, for the guest, you know, whether that's a, a pharmaceutical company looking after patients or, you know, a, a retail organization looking after shoppers or, you know, Alton Towers or Disneyland looking after uh, families and, and so on in the theme park. Yeah. So with on that note, actually, with Disney, we were discussing last week about the Disney magic and how they still create that feeling. I mean, it's, it's super exciting. I've been to Disney about four or five times when I was a kid and my parents love it. And there is not, there's not one part of that experience that isn't magic. You know, even I can remember parking, you know, my dad parking the car, even getting on the little tram that takes you into it. Every part of it is exciting. Like how do they, how do they keep that up with the measures that they have to have in place now? Yeah, the, the, the funny thing about, about Disney, and I was trying to explain to people is you, with all the talk, we, we've just been talking about guest centricity. You would think that at Disney uh, were the ultimate guest centric company, but they're not. They're not guest centric. They're cast centric. I went um, to uh, the IAPA Leadership Summit in March of, of this year, just before lockdown happened, actually. And I attended a presentation and met with a lady called Chris Tyler. Chris is the operations VP at uh, Disneyland um, Anaheim, California. And she took us through the launch of Galaxy's Edge. And I'd I'd had the kind of privilege of seeing Galaxy's Edge both in Anaheim and and, and in Florida. And I I think it's outstanding. Um, Anyway, Chris just talked about the cast. You know, she she talked about the long lead in to that, that opening and about how they invested in education, in programs to tell the backstory of the of, of the characters, the you know the narratives, all the different movies, uh, how they approached costuming, how they allowed personalization of of, of, of costuming, uh, how they chose the, the staff, uh, the cast, uh, who actually ended up you know taking up those, those frontline roles, and then the, the launch event that they ran, and actually they did a fashion show where the the kind of key Imagineers, um, people like Scott Trowbridge, Chris Beatty, Margaret Carrison, dressed up in the, uh, the new costumes for, for Galaxy's Edge, for Batu, um, the, the new world which they, they, they've created. Uh, or should I say the existing part of the Star Wars universe, which they, <laughs> they've, they, they've brought to life, because that's, that's what it is. It is an existing part. And, and so basically the, the philosophy um, is about happy um, cast equals happy guests. That, that's the mantra of the Disney Institute. Uh, which is the external facing management consultancy part of, of, of the organization who train companies all around the world. And if you're listening, guys, I'd love to partner with you one day. Um, <laughs> but that, 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 that simple principle is, is the reason why when you go into any Disneyland park, you know, chances are 98 times out of 100, you're meeting somebody who is happy to be there. Yeah. And they are super motivated. They believe in what Disney are trying to do whether it's somebody who um, works in the, um, the janitorial department, whether they're doing the laundry, uh, whether they're in frontline guest service, whether it's ride ops, whatever it is, you know, they, they know they're there to create a magical experience and magical memories. And they're generally some of the happiest staff uh, that you're going to find. And, and that's, that, in my view, is, is the reason why Disney will endure, the magic will endure because they've done a pretty good job of looking after the people and they'll continue to do so. 
I love that. Yeah, I love that. Happy, happy, happy team makes for happy visitors for sure. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense, yeah. doesn't it? So, so much of um, uh, whenever I've done research on launching parks, you know, so much of the the, the fantastic experience comes down to staff. Uh, you know, probably twenty five percent of the overall piece. You know, it isn't the coasters. It isn't the well. It is those things, but you know, the, 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 those those guys make up so much a, a part of, it. And, and we forget that at our peril. Yeah, you're right, actually. And I, I can see I can draw a, a parallel to one of our clients um, for exactly the same reason. So we work with Eureka, the National Children's Museum, oh, yeah. and their team are called Enablers. And every single mm. one of them, every time I've been is happy, they are engaging, they are genuinely really so delighted to be there and to welcome you and to help you and it is just lovely and that is part of the whole experience for me that that front of house team are so incredibly caring and dedicated to the people that are coming through the doors and that that is a big part of what that makes that experience brilliant absolutely big big question for you so what do you think the experience economy is going to look like post-covid are experiences like Tony's, for example, are they going to need to have a different focus? Are they going to need to look at things that are more virtual continuing? We've seen a lot of that during lockdown, you know, virtual museum tours, virtual tours, virtual experiences. Is that going to continue or do you think things are going to go back to how they were? It's a, it's a bit like the, the saying in the, in the Hollywood industry, you know, in the film industry, um, nobody knows, right? <laughs> you get a lot of people who will say, oh, yeah, it's going to be like this. The world's going to change. No, the world isn't going to change. It's going to be exactly the same. It's, it's how, how do you say whether a film is going to be a success or not? Nobody knows. Um, we do a lot of work benchmarking what we think are really successful brands who are, who've understood what the transformational economy is, is all about. And we showcase their work. So, you know, good example, not in our in industry specifically, but they are they are an experience provider, Peloton. Uh, Peloton are the, you know, the, the um, they provide the program of how you become a better cyclist. Uh, I actually think it's about becoming a better looking cyclist as well, by the way, because it's a it's a very it's a very sort of sexy brand. Um, the, the, the product of, of Peloton, you know, is um, w- well-being how I, how I feel about myself. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, my fitness, but my sense of belonging, being in something harder than myself, bigger than myself, you know, my sort of competitive juices flowing and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I, people who, who, who love the brand, you know, they, they would not lose their whatever it is, you know, hour in the morning or at the end of the day or whatever uh, for, for, for anything, you know. It's, it's like a sort of super positive drug effectively if you kind of think about it like that um now interestingly that's an experience that's in home you know it, they yeah. they connect it around the world through these super cool screens and you've got people from all all different parts of the world and that's sort of the point you know of the uh, the, the online community um i'm sure though that there's a, a version of that that could go from in the home to in a in a physical uh, space with lots of other people, and and a good example there would be esports. You know, so esports has grown out of gamers. You know, sat in front of a screen like this, may, maybe one or two together playing a m- multiplayer. Now you've got you know leagues, franchises. Um, when um, uh, the London Resort launch in X number of years mm. time down in down in Kent, um, that there's talk of an, an esports franchise having their physical home. You know, like a 
Arsenal or, or, or Chelsea Football Club, you know, the equivalent of them having it there and having stadiums full of people sort of, sort of watching the gamers. So that the point is it can go both ways. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about physical theme park visitor attraction, you know, brand homes, museums, being places where people go to and we're worried about will, will they kind of come back? Well, you know, I think lots of good examples of, uh, of organizations creating virtual digital experiences um, and, and they're obviously revenue driving opportunities as well. So we're about to do some work with um, the distillery industry. They're a provider, a curator, uh, if, if you will, of really, really high-end product that unless you tell the story, you know, so bottles of whiskey or gin or whatever that are selling for hundreds and hundreds of pounds, you're never going to buy that in Waitrose. Um, but if you wrap a story around it, and talk about the provenance and the heritage and the characters who put that together and the years and years in, you know, it, whatever, um, then, then I think you're going to stand more chance of being successful. And all that can be done virtually just as well as it can in a, and often, you know, more effectively with some of the latest um, digital technologies. Yeah, absolutely. I almost certainly haven't answered the question, but I at least hopefully gave some, some thoughts. <laughs> I don't think the question can be answered, can it? It's impossible at the moment. It's like you say, we just don't know. At the moment, we don't know what's coming in the next couple of weeks, let alone the next couple of years. So I think I really enjoyed your answer, though. And uh, distilleries is something that we know a little bit about, Ben. So I feel like feel like there might be something happening there. Okay, let's, uh, <laughs> let, let's talk. Let's, let's talk. talk. Um, do you know what? We connected quite early on at the beginning of lockdown. And one of the things that I really enjoyed, you wrote an article, brilliant article actually, on Blue Loop. Uh, it was called COVID-19 and the Enduring Strength of the Attractions Industry. What I have really enjoyed about your, the content that you've been sharing um, and, and the things that you've been talking about over this period is how unbelievably positive that you have been about the, about the, the industry. Um, and you've talked a lot about the overriding resilience that attractions have. I, I kind of wanted to know that that article came out right at the beginning of lockdown. If you could go back, was there, is there anything that you would add to that now, having seen what you've seen over the past few months? Um, well, first of all, um, I collaborated. I, I, it was my idea to write it, but I collaborated with um, four brilliant Dutch people. Um, and we, we actually, we loved the idea of um, putting a Zoom collaboration together. And obviously we did it all on Google Docs and, and whatever. Um, so um, Raymond and Luca and, and, and Caroline, um, and I've forgotten the other guy's name. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, to... Don't worry, let me know. We'll put it in the show notes. So there'll yeah, be- Yeah, put, 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 it, put it in the show notes. Yeah. So they, 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 they helped me sort of put, put that together. Um, I, I, don't think I, would, I don't think I would change anything. Um, if, if I had a bit more time, you know, I would, I would like to have gone more into the psychological drivers, you know, the deep, the deep kind of reasons why. Um, Joe, Joe and Jim have this experience framework, you know, so you've got education, um, entertainment, aesthetic, uh, which is this sort of art, art appreciation, and then escapism and this sort of four box grid. And then they overlay that with things like ed, ed, edutainment and, and, and es escatainment. What I think is really interesting is why why do we feel the need to be entertained? What happens when we appreciate art, you know, in our, in our, in our mind, in our heart, in, in our soul? What's actually go, going on there? And, and often it gets down to transformations. You know, we, we as human beings um, 
I think, are always looking to better ourselves. We have an idea of ourselves that, that's, that's bigger, more perfect, better than, than the, the way we kind of realize we are. And we're always striving to try and get there. And I think brands that can help that sort of journey, help me understand my ambitions, achieve some of those ambitions, you know, contribute to, to the world. Um, I, I, I sometimes think, uh, I oscillate between thinking we're all fundamentally selfish and we're all fundamentally good. And I think the truth is we're both successful businesses in our, in our industry will be those who can really create the environment where we can be our best selves. Um, now I've forgotten what the question was, but um, oh yeah, would I change anything about the article? I, I would, I would love to go into more of that kind of um, uh, that, that the sort of psychological uh, approach to it so, and what, what psychology can teach us uh, in the entertainment industry. But the article was way longer than we, uh, we started out. So <laughs> I think there's a lot to talk about. Char Charlie Reed at Blue Loop would probably have got his, his editing pen out. <laughs> well, I'll ask him. He's coming on here in a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, we are coming up to the end of the podcast interview. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you, Ben. I think um, uh, me too. you've got a really great take on what things are going to be like future. I know we can't be so specific at the moment, but I think some of the things you're working on just sound so incredibly exciting. And I'm really pleased to see that there's still... Uh, that kind of overriding resilience in attractions. They're going to come back bigger and stronger. Um, we like to ask our guests at the end of the podcast if there's a book that you would recommend um, that has helped shape your career in any way. Yeah, so there's two books, actually, if I can be cheeky. You can. Um, uh, if you If you have a marketing in your job title at all or you have any responsibility to do marketing, you need to read a book called How Brands Grow. Uh, how Brands Grow. Uh, it was written about 15-ish years ago uh, by a guy called Byron Sharp at the Ehrenberg Bass Institute um, down in South Australia. Uh, I had the privilege of being trained by um, Byron and his team when I was at Mars. It's incredibly simple concept of how, how brands grow, obviously, hence the title, around mental availability. So the, the memory structures that sit in your mind. So if I say Coca-Cola to you, now you're thinking about the color red and swirls <laughs> and the silvery writing and, and the shape of the bottle with the, the little glass um, pieces, which if you drop it on the floor, it's so recognizable that every shard will look like your notes coat bottle. That's mental availability. And physical availability is the, is the concept of being at arm's reach whenever the uh, desire to purchase from that category is, 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 is triggered. That's the concept. Um, but the book kind of goes into much more depth than that. Um, and then I think for anybody in our industry, uh, they need to get the, the latest copy of, um, of Joe's book, Joe and Jim's book, The Experience Economy, for which I really should be on commission. So I think, um, <laughs> Joe, we need to have a word about that. I, I, I just think you can't operate in this space without having understood that. Authenticity is also a really good one, uh, which is the follow up to Experience Economy. That's three books. That's super oh, yeah. greedy. But the, I'm really glad that you shared the experience economy because it is a fantastic, a fantastic book. And I'm sure that yeah. many of our, our audience have, have read it. And if you haven't, you definitely need to. Um, so what we like to do is um, if you'd like to win a copy, I mean, Ben's two, this is two books. So this is a double whammy. So if you'd like to win a copy of both of those books, then if you head over to our Twitter account, and if you retweet this episode announcement with the comment, I want Ben's books, then you could be in with a chance of winning a copy of both of them. 
you've just upped my costs for this podcast, Ben. I actually have several spare copies of How Brands Grow. <laughs> or maybe Ben will send you so one personally, I'll directly. Put one, <laughs> I'll, put, I'll put one in the post, well thumbed. <laughs> Great. Um, ben, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us before we, before we head off today? I think we're we're good. This has been really really enjoyable. Um, apart from all, all the, the the skewering you did at the end, and made, made me talk about all the things I was rubbish at. <laughs> just trying to get good. under the skin, Ben. Just yes, you did. You did that. You definitely need to edit that out. No, no, it's been great. Look, I think this is a fantastic industry. Um, it, we've we've taken a you know a bit of a punch. Um, but there's no, there's no limbs broken. We'll, we'll, we'll come back stronger. You know, it's, it, we've been growing you know, three or 4% CAGR for the last 10 years at the industry entertained a billion people last year, or probably slightly more, um, and strong growth across the, the, the regions. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a great place to, to work and have fun. That is a lovely place to end the podcast on as well today. Thank you so much for joining us, Ben. It's been a pleasure. pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.